over these five Sundays of Advent leading up to and through today, Christmas Day, we've been exploring the Christmas story through the eyes of some of the key people involved in that very first Christmas. In a series I've entitled Portraits of Christmas, we began with Mary, a portrait of humility, Joseph, a portrait of obedience, the angels, a portrait of wonder, and last Sunday we focused on shepherds, a portrait of joy. Portraits of Christmas, today's fifth and final lesson, centers on Jesus, a portrait of God. Obviously, the most outstanding characteristic of Jesus is that He is, in fact, God. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, as quoted by the angel to Joseph in Matthew 1 and verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. John puts it this way in John 1 and verse 18, No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, Jesus, who is Himself God, has made Him known. God with us. God in the flesh. I think this is, of course, the greatest among the portraits of Christmas. (laughs) Jesus, a portrait of God. So let's begin today's lesson by looking at the Scripture together. As we've already seen earlier in this series, Matthew's account of the Christmas story is told from Joseph's perspective. Matthew begins his gospel with the genealogy of the line of David from Abraham through Joseph. And then in Matthew 1 and verse 18 he writes, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. And he goes on to describe Jesus' birth through the eyes of Joseph, Jesus' earthly stepfather. Why? Because Matthew's gospel was written to the Jews who would be most concerned about the Jewish heritage from a patriarchal point of view. Now many are surprised to find that Mark's gospel doesn't even mention Jesus' birth. Not a single word about the Christmas story. That's because Mark wrote to the Roman reader, and he begins in Mark 1 and verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he just launches into his gospel at the point of Jesus' baptism, which was the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Luke, whose gospel is the longest, was a doctor and wrote with attention to detail. His intended audience was a more highly educated Greek or Gentile person. Therefore, as we learned earlier in this sermon series, his gospel begins with the events surrounding the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Messiah. And then, of course, we are indebted to Luke for the details surrounding that first Christmas night, the nativity. Jesus' actual birth, along with the stories of the angels and the shepherds, because those stories are not found in any other gospel except for Luke. And finally, we come to the Gospel of John. 
Now the Apostle John wrote his account of Jesus' life and ministry with an emphasis on proving that Jesus is the Son of God. His Gospel contains no parables, focusing less on Jesus' teachings and more on Jesus' miracles and His personal interactions with other people. John strives to reveal both the divine and the human sides of Jesus. And when it comes to the Christmas story itself, instead of presenting Jesus' birth from an earthly viewpoint, from a human perspective, John presents Jesus' birth from a heavenly viewpoint. God's divine perspective. Now with that in mind, follow along as I read today's text. John chapter 1, we pick it up with verse 1. Follow along in your Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. In the beginning was the Word John writes in verse 1. Now, many of our English versions, like our Pew Bible, capitalize word, and I think rightly so. The Greek word here is logos, a very significant word, packed with meaning for the Jewish reader. It was a familiar and current theological term when John wrote it, and therefore he uses it without explanation. Unfortunately, today, we don't read it or hear it in that same context, with the same historical or theological roots as the original recipients of John's Gospel. Now, time doesn't allow us to go into a long, detailed explanation of Logos this morning. Let me just say this. Although the root word is used over 300 times in the New Testament to refer simply to a word or saying, and in particular instruction or doctrine, to the Jewish mind, it came to refer to the embodiment of instruction or doctrine, the personification of all logic and wisdom, the very source, capital S, of all truth and reason. In short, to the Jews, Logos, word, became synonymous with Jehovah God Himself. And as we'll see as we work our way verse by verse through these verses in John 1 together, to the Christian, Logos word is also synonymous with Jesus Himself. For Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. 
And with that in mind, then, I believe that we, what we learn about Logos, the word in today's text, can be summed up in these six simple statements. Number one, the word is God. The word is God. Again, John writes in John 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so the Word, Logos, is the eternal God Himself. He was in the beginning, and He will always be. He was with God, obviously a reference to Jesus Himself, existing with God in the beginning as a part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' own words in Revelation 1 and verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first letter and I'm the last letter. Who is, present tense, who was, past tense, and who is to come, future tense. The eternal God. The Word is God. Secondly, the Word is Creator. Capital C. The Word is Creator. John 1 and verse 3 continues, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Paul put it this way. Colossians 1 verses 15 through 17. In fact, let's read these verses out loud together. Would you read them with me? Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all. And in fact, Christ Himself is the Creator who made everything in heaven and earth. The things we can see and the things we can't. All were made by Christ for His own use and glory. He was before all else began, and it is His power that holds everything together. See, the Word is Creator. Third, the Word is life. The Word is life. The first part of John 1 verse 4 simply reminds us, in Him was life. Now when John gets to the end of his gospel, he states the very purpose of all that he has written this way in John 20 and verse 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Life. And this promise of life, which is one of John's themes throughout his gospel, is both abundant life here on this earth and eternal life in heaven. The Word is life. Fourth, the Word is light. The Word is light. John continues in John 1, verses 4 and 5, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, literally, this word overcome, I think, is better translated understood comprehend. The darkness has not understood it. And John writes in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Folks, herein is the Christmas story. (laughs) Jesus Himself said in John 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, the good news is that the light, the Word, Jesus, has indeed come into the world. The bad news is that the world, those living in the darkness of sin, have not understood Him. 
as it says in verses 10 and 11, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. God became human flesh. The Creator became a part of His creation. The life came to those who were dead in sin. The light came to dispel the darkness. But the world did not recognize Him. His own did not receive Him. The Word is light. Fifth, the Word is Savior. The Word is Savior. Even though some do not recognize Him and did not receive Him, others of us, of course, have. And the result is our salvation. In fact, read John 1 and verse 12 out loud with me. Let's read this together. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Whoa, isn't that cool? And John explains further in verse 13, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. See, that's the reason right there for the season. This is the why behind the Christmas story. To recognize and to receive the Savior, to be born of God, to be born again. That's what Christmas is about. The Word is Savior. And then sixth, the Word is Jesus. The Word is Jesus. Don't miss this. Here's the bottom line of John's version of the Christmas story. Lest we have any doubt about the who the Word truly is, John writes in verses 14 and 18, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him know. The Word is Jesus. Well, let's look at the Scripture. Now, what lessons can we learn from our study together this morning? Jesus, a portrait of God. Obviously, again, the most outstanding characteristic of Jesus is that He is, in fact, God Himself. As it says in John 1 and verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is Himself God, has made Him known. And as John writes in John 1 and verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Now the key word often used to describe this is the word incarnation. Write that down there in your notes. It's a great word. Incarnation literally means taking on flesh or embodied in flesh. And that's exactly what Christmas is all about, isn't it? I mean, that's exactly what God did. The Word, Logos, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus is the incarnation of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is literally God in the flesh. Incarnation. In his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey writes, I learned about incarnation when I kept a saltwater aquarium. Has anybody here ever done a saltwater aquarium? No. But I've known some who have. 
Management of a marine aquarium, I discovered, is no easy task. I had to run a portable chemical laboratory to monitor the nitrate levels, the ammonia content. I pumped in vitamins and antibiotics and sulfur drugs and enough enzymes to make a rock grow. I filtered the water through glass fibers and charcoal, exposed it to ultraviolet light. You would think in view of all of the energy expended on their behalf that my fish would be grateful. Not so. Every time my shadow loomed above the tank, they dove for cover in the nearest shell. They showed me but one emotion. Fear. Although I opened the lid and dropped in food on a regular schedule three times a day, they responded to each visit as a sure sign of my designs to torture them. I could not convince them of my true concern. To my fish, I was deity. I was too large for them. My actions too incomprehensible. My acts of mercy they saw as cruelty. My attempts at healing they viewed as destruction. To change their perceptions, I began to see, would require a form of incarnation. I would have to become one of them. I would have to become a fish and speak to them in a language they could understand. Isn't that a great illustration? Friends, listen, a human being becoming a fish is nothing compared to God becoming human. And yet that's exactly what happened on that very first Christmas. God Himself stepped into our world in order to become like us in every respect, to speak to us, if you will, in a language that we could understand. Now for centuries, God had done His very best to help us see what he was really like. He called on various people, patriarchs and judges and kings and prophets, to try to communicate his word with us. But you see, all they could see were shadows. Little bits and pieces of God's whole plan. And thus, it became necessary for the incarnation. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3. Long ago, God spoke in many different ways to our fathers through the prophets and visions and dreams, telling them little by little about His plans. But now in these days He has spoken to us through His Son, to whom He has given everything and through whom He made the world and everything there is. God's Son shines out with God's glory and all that God's Son is and does marks Him as God. He regulates the universe by the mighty power of His Word. Logos. And the Word, Logos, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Incarnation. Now as we ponder this powerful truth, as we consider Jesus a portrait of God, as we think more deeply about John 1, let me challenge you to see Christmas from God's perspective today. A divine viewpoint means, number one, from heaven to earth. From heaven to earth. To see Christmas from God's perspective is to understand that Jesus left heaven to come to earth. Now normally, we think of the incarnation from our own viewpoint. 
God became a human being for us, to redeem us, to deliver us, so that we on earth could go to heaven. But what if we turn that around this morning? What if we looked at it from God's viewpoint? What He actually gave up? What He left behind in heaven? You see, Jesus lived in heaven. The right hand of God is His rightful home. He created it. It's, his, it's a perfect place. It's more magnificent than anything we could ever imagine. It's a place that excels beyond our wildest dreams. It's a place where He is worshipped and exalted, where He is given the glory and the honor that He alone deserves. And Christmas story tells us that He left His home for ours. He moved into our hood. He moved into our world. Look what the Apostle Paul tells us, Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. In fact, let's read these two verses out loud together. Would you read them with me? He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. It was an incredibly humbling process. It looks at it a little differently, doesn't it? From heaven to earth. Number two, from eternity to time. From eternity to time. To see Christmas from God's perspective is to understand that eternity intersected with time. Again, John 1, verses 1 and 2 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now the question is, when is the beginning? Go back as far as you can possibly imagine in your thinking, and when you get there, Jesus was before even then. Because the beginning is before even time itself began. In the beginning was, notice the past tense, was the Word. That is, He existed before the beginning. Meaning that He never really began, He just always was. (laughs) Jesus was before time. He was outside of the realm of time. And that's because He's the one who created time. And so, the Christmas story tells us that Jesus journeyed from eternity where time isn't into time itself. He came into time, our time, into our calendars and into our days. He lived among us, which means He measured time as you and I do in seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, and years. Now, can you picture this? This is God. The God who knew no time chose to be clothed in time. Wow. Paul put it this way, Galatians 4 and verse 4, but when the right time came, the time God decided on, He sent His Son, born of a woman. From eternity to time. 
Number three, from spirit to body. From spirit to body. To see Christmas from God's perspective is to understand that He who is spirit became He who is flesh. Once again, John 1 verse 14 tells us, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Simply put, before that first Christmas, Jesus did not have a human body. He was not flesh and bone. He was spirit. As it says in John 4 and verse 24, God is spirit. And yet when He embarked on this amazing Christmas journey, He came in a human body. He took on flesh and bone. And so the Word, Jesus, became limited, contained not only by time, as we already talked about, but now by space. Although 100% God, He became 100% man. He was conceived in a womb and delivered into this world just as every other baby. As a baby, he had to depend upon his parents to feed him and to bathe him and to change his dirty diapers. He had to learn to walk. Have you ever thought about that? God had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. He got tired and slept. He got hungry and thirsty and he ate and he drank. If you hit him, he bruised. If you cut him, he bled. If you killed him, he died. One author I read this last week put it this way. For 33 years, Jesus felt everything that you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He got colds. He burped. He had body odor. He got his feelings hurt. His feet got tired and his head ached. Now to think of Jesus in such a light is... Well, it almost seems irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's so much easier, you see, to keep humanity out of the Incarnation. But the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus was 100% human from spirit to body. Number four, from divinity to humanity. From divinity to humanity. To see Christmas from God's perspective is to understand that the 100% divine became 100% human. In John 1 and verse 14, immediately after writing, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, John goes on to say, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And herein lies one of the more difficult truths of the incarnation for our human minds to get our arms around. While God the Creator became God the creation... He was at one and the same time divine and human. Simultaneously, He was 100% deity and 100% humanity. When He became human, He didn't stop being divine. Now, if you're expecting me to explain that truth in easy to understand terms, I am so sorry. But I can't explain this. Because Jesus is both divine and human, because He is God and man, He is the Savior. He is the only one who can pay the price for our sins so that we can spend eternity in His home, heaven, with Him. His very name, Jesus, Yeshua, says it all. He who saves. 
Savior, Deliverer. As the angel told Joseph in Matthew 1 and verse 21, you are to give Him the name Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. Peter put it this way, Acts 4 and verse 12. In fact, let's read this one out loud together. Would you read it with me? Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus from divinity to humanity. And number five, from hidden to known. From hidden to known. So see, Christmas from God's perspective is to understand that this is God's chosen way to reveal Himself and His plan of redemption to us. To clearly make Himself and His salvation known to the whole world. Again, John 1 verse 18 tells us no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is Himself God, has made Him known. You see, until the incarnation, until Christmas, until Jesus was born, lived, died, was buried, and rose again, God's plan of redemption was a bit of a mystery. It was hidden. But now it has been made known. The Apostle Paul writes Colossians 1 verses 26 through 28. This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. (laughs) It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. We preach Christ. Period. Jesus, you see, is the good news. What had been hidden is now fully known. Portraits of Christmas. This morning we've looked at Jesus, a portrait of God. Obviously the most outstanding characteristic of Jesus is that He is in fact God Himself. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Incarnation. As we ponder this powerful truth, as we consider Jesus a portrait of God, as we think more deeply about these verses here in John 1, let me challenge you on this Christmas day to see Christmas from God's perspective. A divine viewpoint means from heaven to earth. From eternity to time. From spirit to to body, from divinity to humanity, from hidden to know. Portraits of Christmas. Jesus, a portrait of God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for choosing to become flesh to make Your dwelling among us. That's what we celebrate today on this Christmas day. You have made that which is hidden known. We now see clearly because You have chosen to identify with us face to face in the very flesh of which we are made.
Thank you. Thank you so much that Jesus, you are God. And we exalt you to the place that you alone deserve. And we give you the praise and the glory and the honor and the power that is rightfully yours. We've spent these last weeks in Advent anticipating the coming of the Savior. And now you're here. And we celebrate you, Jesus. And we live our lives now with a sense of anticipation that you will soon come again as our returning King, the One who reigns. And we look forward with that and we live every day with a sense of expectation. Today could be the day. Help Christmas to be a new reality for us today as we've considered it from Your perspective, O Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.